Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough. And as you may probably know if you listen to this podcast, we're the authors of now working on the 36th cookbook. How is this possible? Included amongst our library shelf of cookbooks is the Kitchen Shortcut Bible, which actually is one of my favorite books we have ever written all about cooking hacks using kitchen tools and appliances in ways that you might not have thought about on your own. It's a complete shortcut Bible to better cooking. For example, making cake batters in a food processor, dropping a whole orange in there, grinding it up and making a delicious orange cake right there in the food processor's bowl. If you want to see that happen in action, check out our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. But this episode of the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark is all about ice cream. There's an interview coming up. We're going to talk about what's making us happy in food this week. And we've got our patented one minute cooking tip. So let's get going. You know, Mark and I have written a number of ice cream books. We have. And the first one, the ultimate ice cream book, is our first book we've ever written. It's still selling after 23 years. It's insane. It has sold 300,000 plus copies. Insane. It is an amazing book. And this was published in 99. Is that right? So in the days before pictures were important, it is a book that has sold 300,000 copies and it's only got a picture on the cover of ice cream. But it is a complete compendium, alphabetically arranged of ice creams. And so it's still selling. It's really nice. And I want to talk about... Mark's and my favorite ice creams, and then some more weird ice creams we're seeing in the stores. Now, I'm a chocolate guy, right? I love chocolate ice cream. It's my favorite. I don't like gunk in my ice cream. I don't like crap. I don't like stuff mixed in my ice cream. So you don't do like chocolate chocolate chip well, ice cream. That's different. I don't like Swedish fish or dried oh, bananas. No, no. Don't take me to that place where they smash your ice cream on a on a oh, thing I, and I like that. Smash in. Oh, I like those. Really, and you want to smash things I in? I love it. Like what Heath bars and mm-hmm, Swedish fish? Because mm-hmm, it yeah. Well, I don't know Swedish fish, but Heath bars for sure because it makes the ice cream soft and melty, which is my favorite mm. part. Because if you listen to this podcast, you know that I. I am a skimmer. I get ice cream home from the supermarket. <laughs> it's been what's making you happy in food this week. It before. is. I take the lid right off on a hot summer day. I skim the rim of the ice cream all around. And after that, I am basically kind of, uh, what do I want to say? I'm not as interested in the ice cream after that. To me, that is the absolute best bite of ice cream ever. Yeah, Mark is a big microwave the ice cream before you eat it so that mm-hmm. it gets really, really soft. And mm-hmm. I'm a like, no, no, chip it out of there. No. And let it get soft and melt in my no, mouth. No, 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 no. I love ice cream. And in fact, I love ice cream so much. It's probably why we have written so many <laughs> books that involve ice cream, including this book, The Ultimate Ice Cream Book, and The Ultimate Frozen Dessert Book, and A La Mode, which is a dessert pairing with ice cream. Book. I mean, I love ice cream so much so that I will confess to you that I cannot keep it in the house. Because if there is ice cream in the house, I will eat it. And even though I like skimming the best, I still will sneak upstairs at 9 o'clock at night and have a bowl of ice cream because I just love it. It, Ice cream is the finest food ever invented, period, the end. But I'm very picky about my flavors. Well, to quote, I have to just say that, to quote our friend and photographer Eric Metzger, who is a brilliant food photographer, shoots all of our books, 
there is no such thing as bad ice cream. Even bad ice cream is good ice cream. He means by that even like the downscale store brand of ice cream is still good ice cream. There is, is he says, even bad ice cream is good ice cream. I'm, I don't know that I can go with that because I'm picky about my flavors and I mostly don't like fruit flavors. They, I find them artificial and weird mm. half the time. Um, and they're not I, very strong. Fruit gets I diluted, don't, doesn't I, it? I don't like chips of ice strawberry and ice no, peaches no, no, in no, my no. ice cream. Peach ice cream is a really great thing, and I grew up with it in Texas. And when the peaches came in in Texas, we would make peach ice cream. And well, listen, I am so old. It was in the bucket full of ice with the thing with the crank, and we cranked and it by hand in the salt-ridden ice. <laughs> and we would make peach ice cream it, every time the peaches came in. And it was glorious because, of course, when it comes out of that machine, it's still soft. The peaches are not frozen like ice. Mm. Ice cubes, they're still soft and luscious. I loved peach ice cream as a kid. My problem is that now so many peach ice creams that peaches are ice chips. The same with strawberries. I don't all of that stuff is kind of against me. And I also don't like things that turn soft in ice cream. For example, there's this ice cream creamery, Canton Valley Creamery, that is near us that we love. And I love most of their flavors, but I am uninterested in grape nuts ice cream because the grape nuts, it's one of their flavors, because the grape nuts are not going to be crunchy. But cookie dough ice cream, the dough is soft, and birthday that cake ice cream, different. the cake is soft. Oh, I don't like birthday With mushed up no, birthday no, cake no, in the ice cream? No. And sprinkles? No. I, well, I don't like sprinkles, so there's my problem. <laughs> when we were testing recipes for the ultimate ice cream, ice cream book we tried to cover everything but i had a problem with some things like we did not include garlic ice cream <laughs> and i just there were certain things that thing. when you put it's safe, a thing right now is. garlic ice cream has actually become kind of a hip tiktok I thing know it is but when you put savory items into ice cream for me it just sort of tastes like frozen sauce that belongs on a chicken breast yes and i just we don't... always said that garlic ice cream tastes like frozen alfredo sauce oh, it's gross. it's it's a weird thing it is a th- it is a certainly a current craze. It is savory ice cream, absolutely. And I do like roasted garlic better than raw garlic ice cream. It's slightly better to me. Mm. I still am not a grand fan of it. Mm-mm. I've even seen lately on social media platforms in reels and TikTok videos, I've even seen people putting savory roasted garlic ice cream on top of steaks when they serve them and I honestly don't understand it because I don't want something cold on my hot steak. I'm also not a fan of roasted garlic. I mean, there's something about it. I mean, that's because you're a pagan. Well, but. you smell like roasted garlic for days. Everything that comes out oh, of you smells you like garlic. you don't. You just said you don't like roasted garlic. You don't like you. I don't like me <laughs> when I've eaten roasted <laughs> no. garlic. Okay, that's that's because discounted. Everything out. that comes out of me smells like roasted garlic. Okay, it's out, disgusting. Out. Um, roasted garlic is a beautiful thing. I love it. I love <laughs> it smear, smeared on toast, but I will say that it can be overwhelming. But again, savory ice cream is a huge trend. Apparently there is a new concept store in London, the Ice Cream Project, right? And yep. they are offering all kinds of savory flavors. They have flavors. 14 savory flavors, and the three that caught my eye 
Well, they have a tangy salad cream ice cream. Oh, God. <laughs> salad. <laughs> British salad cream as ice cream. I just, no. <laughs> it's a, already salad cream turns my stomach, but salad cream ice cream? Oh, no, it, no, no. That's no, just no. kind of like ranch dressing. Basically, yeah. it's ranch dressing well, ice cream. Well, kind of. Yeah. It's differently flavored, but oh, man. They have a Kikoman soy sauce ice cream. Which okay, I would be tempted by I it. I might try that. And then the last one actually I think sounds good Lyle's golden syrup okay, ice cream. Okay, that's not savory. That's not savory, but that's not a it's not a typical thing. Lyle's is not usually used as a it's used as a sweetener, but it's not necessarily a flavoring. Yeah, I would try it. I would try that. It's kind of like brown sugar ice cream kind of kind of it's cane syrup. It's yeah. real. I love golden syrup. I, I have to tell you that Bruce buys, you know, being snotty foodies, we buy all kinds of really high-end soy sauces and Bruce buys these barrel-aged soy sauces, all kinds of really up-end soy sauces. And for me, he still has to buy me a bottle of Kikuman because that's what I like. We had sushi for dinner, and although there may have been fancier soy sauces around, I was your Kikuman boy, and <laughs> I was using it as my dip for my, for my sushi. So there you go. But savory ice creams are not new, even at the uh, Ice Cream Project in London. I have to say that they are not, you know, inventing this. British modernist cuisine master Heston Blumenthal of the Fat Duck, he's been serving bacon and egg ice cream in his restaurants for years. I don't know. I don't know about bacon and egg ice cream. It's I have had bacon in ice cream. Again, part of my problem with it is the bacon is, well, to use the technical term, flaccid <laughs> once it's in ice cream. But then also frozen. So yeah, it's kind of gross. It's really just salty. Where I've had it, it's not been terribly successful. If I were to make it, I would just render out the fat and put the fat in it. Oh, the, my God. Then you'd have the, the bacon flavor and the fat would make it extra rich. But that's the way oh I would do it. And I want to end this segment by talking about our feelings about fake ice creams. You know, there's some I love and some I hate. They're made with coconut milk. They're made with oat milk. They're made with cashew and milk. The reason we say the fake ice cream is because the cream assumes dairy in right. ice cream generally. But these are made with other kinds of creams, um, almond cream, oat milk, et cetera, mm -hmm. other kinds of quote unquote creams. And we're listing them as fake ice creams, vegan ice creams, vegan ice et cetera. Creams, yeah. I prefer the ones made with cashew milk and the ones made with oat milk because those to me are creamier. I tend not to like the ones made from almond milk or coconut milk very much because coconut milk-based ones, although they could be rich, they all have a coconut flavor going on. Yeah, And I, I don't like, necessarily want the coconut mixed with my I like the coconut ones when they are strongly flavored. So if you get like a dark chocolate coconut ice cream, then I'm okay with it because the dark chocolate is really powerful against the coconut. I'm not okay with just plain vanilla coconut ice cream. It's okay. I agree with you. I like the oat milk ones a great deal and I like the cashew milk ones a great deal. I think those are, for my money, the best I've tasted so far a lot. But listen, let me tell you that fake Ice creams, and we don't mean to be so pejorative, but fake ice creams are coming oh, fast. Huge wave. Huge wave onto the market. They are, in fact, threatening the dairy industry. The dairy industry is actually trying to fight back and get them to not be able to name their ice creams ice creams, but somehow frozen desserts because they are really in a position to threaten even the dairy industry at this point. And it is coming fast. 
Okay, so all we can say about ice cream, we're going to post this episode in the Facebook group Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Maybe you would like to talk about your favorite ice cream, and maybe you'd like to correct us about coconut ice cream or (laughs) almond milk ice cream. Maybe this is the kind that you prefer. And What do you think about savory ice cream? Have you ever had it? Um, If you've had it and you've enjoyed it or not enjoyed it, we would love to hear from you. Connect with us there or on any social media platform, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are too old to be on TikTok, so don't look for us there. (laughs) But nonetheless, look for us on all the old people platforms. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying Instagram is an old people platform. But look for us on all the old people platforms because we are there, and we would love to connect with you there. Up next, our one-minute cooking tip, our patented segment in every single episode of this podcast. Go ahead. Store your fresh green herbs and even leafy greens like kale in a glass of water or a vase of water in your refrigerator. They will stay fresh and plump for days. Look, these are plants. They've been cut. You put them in water. They stay fresh. Yep. When we're going to have a dinner party or when we're going to have people over, I know that all this is happening because there's a vase of kale in the refrigerator. (laughs) It's just a way to keep them fresh. And let me say as a gardener, because I do all the gardening in our house, that it is best to snip off the bottoms of the leaves at the stalks so that you open up fresh cells that can actually absorb water instead of the desiccated dried parts. Even if you can snip off about an inch from the bottom, that's great. Also, remember that if you store kale or parsley or anything in water like that, it will also rot. So this is a temporary solution in the refrigerator. It'll keep it fresh for a couple days, and then it'll start to get waggly and rotty from the water. This is the things that water does. Up next, Bruce's interview with Yasmin Farr, our friend. Yasmin Farr, our longtime friend. It's so nice that she's on the podcast. Our longtime friend, Yasmin Farr, the author of the new book, Boards and Spreads. I am so excited today to talk to Yasmin Farr. She is a fabulous foodie who has written a Serious Eats column for two and a half years, worked as a luxury hotel and fine dining restaurant inspector for Forbes Travel Guide, and she's a regular contributor to the New York Times, Cooking and Food 52, and she is here to talk about her new book, Boards and Spreads, Shareable Simple Arrangements for Every Meal. Hey, Yasmin. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's so great to talk to you. So, so many people these days are familiar with charcuterie boards, you know, those platters of meat and cheeses. But in your new book, you take serving a meal in this style to a whole new level. And I love that you include breakfast boards. Tell me more about why a family style breakfast is so appealing to you. Oh, I love it. I mean, I think this whole style is all about like making your life easier. And I think especially for breakfast, people are kind of rolling in a little sleepy, different, you know, states of awakeness. So just having uh, a spread of food, letting everyone kind of pick and choose what they want is such a nice way to start the day. It's in a relaxed setting and like everyone kind of create the board or plate that they want to. Well, in this breakfast chapter, you have a beautiful but simple jam plan board. And I'm going to ask you to explain what that is, but you also include a peanut butter and tahini spread. So tell me what a jam plan board is and tell me what made you think about mixing peanut butter and tahini. Yeah. So the whole idea came from um, the Odalangi cafes in London. Like used to be able to, I think it's changed because of the pandemic, but you could order um 
kind of toast and jam and it all comes on this board. You can make different toasts like with different combinations. And so I just love that style of eating. So I wanted to do something that was a little different, but also fun. And so peanut butter and tahini, I mean, I love peanut butter and I love tahini. I was like, all right, why not combine them together? And that way it's not just your typical spread, you know? Um, and so the idea is really just kind of make toast, make these little compotes or jams and toppings and let everyone decorate it or make it as they like. I love this way of eating. This is so great to have choices and it's sort of like a smorgasbord and a buffet all at once in the middle of the table. And you have a chapter in the book in this style that you call breads on board. What's that about? It's just all the different ways you can eat things on bread and toast, like flatbreads, naan, you know, there's like um, a feta flatbread that I love. It's just like toasted with some yogurt and then like lemony herbs and onions and it's just such a beautiful dish that's colorful, light, and great for sharing and snacking. So that's kind of the whole section, is, you know, an ode to bread in all its forms. <laughs> and there's a recipe in your book for an Italian aperitivo board. And it's a beautiful photo. It looks probably the closest to what a lot of people would think of as a charcuterie board. But I want to talk about your presentation and the way you like to present meats and salamis. Your slices of mortadella, they're not just lying flat on a platter. Tell me about the best way to create little individual pieces that are easy to pick up and easy to share. Yeah, I mean, I think one, what like you said, you want everything to be sort of bite-sized, like you don't want people tearing at the board or like kind of feeling awkward because people are intimidated to sort of dive in. So you want to make sure everything is bite-sized. Like if you have grapes, like cut them into little um, clusters are easy to pick up, you know, fold meats, you can easily pick them up and remove them. Um, I like to also separate different colors so nothing's too overlapping, putting things that could easily like roll off like into little bowls and things like that. So the idea is really to make it easier for you to serve and for people to eat it. So that kind of idea and like very heights and colors and things like that. Yeah, that's really special and it makes it look as beautiful as it tastes. And again, with the meats, you said you'd like to fold the meats. In that photo also, every piece of salami and mortadella looks like a little flower. That's oh sort gosh, of been yeah. crunched up and so easy to pick up and just not even mess up the rest of the board as you do it. Yeah, and I will say the food stylist for this book is just so talented. Like Barrett Washburn's a wonderful human, like, like an artist too. So it's just amazing to watch him create the food and it is something so beautiful that you know you want to eat it but you also don't want to mess it up because it's so pretty <laughs> even though you're serving all this lovely family style food on boards mm -hmm. there are plenty of bowls and small plates involved so how does that work how do you decide what to put where and how to to create a whole display of different mm -hmm. shapes and sizes yeah so i like to think of like the main dish or like star of the um, meal to be on the board so let's say it's like chicken sliders. You put that on with the buns and maybe some avocado, but anything around it, like condiments or dips, you can put in little bowls, like any salad. So you're making kind of like a centerpiece and then lots of things around it. And that's what really makes um, it a spread. And that allows people to kind of pick and choose whether they want a little bit of salad, put the salad on their slider. Um, so that's kind of the idea. But I think the bowls also make it, I mean, it looks beautiful, but it's also really easy to serve. Like you just throw some bread in there, throw some onions in there, um, and that way people can enjoy the fun part of putting it all together. You just mentioned a slider board. Tell me about it. What are these sliders like? Um, yeah, they're chicken, feta, and dill, and they're in mini sliders, um, and they're smashed, so they cook really quickly, and they're super flavorful, and they don't dry out, and it's just 
yeah, they're fantastic. And they're even great the next day. And you can, you know, eat them between like um, bread buns, but also between lettuce. So it's kind of a, you know, choose your own adventure with them. You talk about accompaniments and sides that you will put in bowls around your main course. You have some recipes for some things in the book, like pickled shallots and jalapenos. And I love this smashed olives. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the smashed olives and tell me about how these little touches can make a meal even more special. Yeah. Um, so I love smashed olives. Me too. They're so good. Basically, it's just like kind of crushing them with your palm or with um, a knife and they flatten them. And then um, they add like a briny, like meaty flavor to uh, pretty much any dish. So I think by using things that are pickled, like, um, you know, pickled shells, you add acidity, you add texture. Um, so you add like a, a like a different flavor component, which is so great. And it kind of elevates or changes um, anything you add it to. So these things you can just kind of put around a board or around a spread and let everyone add it. Um, so they're colorful, they're vibrant, they're delicious, and they kind of um, balance out the entire meal. And they take two minutes or five minutes to do. That's so great. What I think is so fabulous about your book is that you don't just throw all these store-bought ingredients onto a board and call it dinner. Although you can use some... Your book is loaded with delicious recipes. And one that caught my eye was the charred salad. So tell, tell me about that. I love that one. I'm so glad you like that too. <laughs> well, because when I was thinking about the book, it was like, yes, a board, but also like, how do you make it a meal, right? So it's like, I love salad. So I think you really need to, you know, supplement your main thing with other parts for people. So I want to do sort of all the planning for everyone. Um, and so I love charred lettuces. Like there's one for each season. So there's a romaine one for the summer, but you can make in the winter. There's a radicchio one um, for the winter time, which is a little more bitter and has like a miso sherry um, dressing. So I think that like giving people the options of different salads to supplement their board, no matter what time of year it is, um, is something I really wanted. And these salads are just like fresh, flavorful, full of texture and color. Um, and they're just fun. Like charring lettuce just makes it taste so much better. How do you do it? Um, really simply, you can just do it like on a sheet pan, um, or you can just do it in like a dry cast or cast iron, like a little bit of oil, um, until they brown, just turn them over. So it really doesn't take very long and it adds so much, like so much depth of flavor. You write in the book about a nickname you had in college and how, <laughs> and how that inspired your dinner time boards chapter. You want to share that story with me? I did. It's like, it was one of those stories. I was like, should I be sharing this? Like, is this embarrassing? <laughs> Um, so at college, we had like a dining hall, of course, and there was like a frozen yogurt machine with a toppings bar. And I was obsessed with it. Like I would always get frozen yogurt and top it with different toppings. And there was a boy who I still am in touch with, but like one time we ran into each other at a party. He was like, oh, it's toppings, girl. <laughs> I just loved all the toppings. But like I wanted to bring, you know, that kind of fun energy into the book where there are dishes like the turkey chili and you just set out a bunch of toppings. You make one big bowl and then let everyone kind of decorate it um, as they want to. And it's like you can make each bowl different, you know, even just for yourself or for your family. So I just love that kind of idea of giving people the flexibility and the options because it's just so much fun when you see all of these things in front of you and you get to be like, oh, I can have that and that and like see what someone else is making. So you are taking family style meals to a new level with your new book, Boards and Spreads, shareable, simple arrangements for every meal. Yasmin Farr, your food is fantastic. And if people want to find out more about what you're doing, your website is yasminfar.co. That's Y-A-S-M-I-N-F-A-H-R.co. Thank you for spending some time with us and great good luck on the new book. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. 
Oh, it's so great to hear it, Yasmin Farr. It is so, it's such a, so nice to see your friends succeed in the business. And I definitely want more boards and spreads. In my <laughs> the charcuterie board is the oh, way of the future. I love a cheese board with dried fruit for dessert. It's my favorite dessert that there could possibly be. So I want more boards and spreads all around. Our last segment of the podcast, as always, is what's making us happy in food this week. And I'm going to go first. And what's making me happy in food this week is Gyoza. Last night, I went to the Sharon Book Festival. And there I was a featured author for my memoir, Bookmarked, How the Great Works of Western Literature up my life. I have you know that I had to fight long and hard to get that as a subtitle. This is why you have good agents. Most publishers don't want such things. As a featured author there, and I came home late at about 8.30 after the event, and Bruce had made gyoza from scratch and fried them, and we sat there dipping them in soy sauce. Kikuman, of course. <laughs> sat there dipping them in kikuman soy sauce and eating some sushi afterwards, and those gyoza were just mm. Spectacular. Thank you. What's making me happy for this week are butter burgers. <laughs> you didn't know what a butter burger was till you met well, this Protestant. We're actually in the middle of testing recipes for a new air frying book that will be out in 2023. And we were doing the sandwich chapter. And I don't want to hear it if you don't think burgers belong in a sandwich chapter. But burgers are sandwiches because <laughs> they're between bread and you eat them with your hands. But Mark said to me, we can't have a sandwich chapter without a butter burger. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't know what a butter burger is, you take lean ground meat like ground sirloin and I grate butter with a box grater and I mix that into the meat and then you chill it mm. and then you cook it so it's buttery juicy This became throughout. a craze in the late 80s early 90s from Culver's which is now a national chain but back then it was a Wisconsin Oh, well, I remember when it was a one Wisconsin-only place, and then it became a Wisconsin chain, and now it's a national chain, Culver's Frozen Custard. But they were infamous, even in the late 80s, for their butter burgers, butter cut into the hamburger. <laughs> and if you haven't tried this, um, you can't if you're kosher, but otherwise, it is a delicious, yeah, I don't think unbelievable a margarine burger is really Gross. <laughs> Just gross. A margarine burger. Oh, how about a coconut oil burger? Oh, gross. <laughs> Butter burgers, that's another thing entirely. Don't see your cardiologist the week after you eat it. That's our show this week. Thank you for being part of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Thank you for being on this journey with us. We would like to connect with you in any way and share our lives with you. Look for us on social media. You'll learn more about my gardens in our New England house than you could ever possibly want to know, as well as what we're up to and our families. No, the whole thing and we'd like to connect and learn about your families and your life too find us there on facebook twitter or instagram and we will see you next time on the next cooking with bruce and mark